the reading, sorry, is this on the mic at all? Yeah, right. Uh, the reading is from Luke, is chapter 5, and verses 1 to 11. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Turn with me, if you will, to the passage that Sarah's just read. And as you're just uh, turning to it or making sure you've got it, let me tell you about the curtain drawing back on a new play opening at the West End. It revealed a table in the middle of the stage with a group of actors gathered around it. According to the script, the telephone on the table would ring, the lead actor would pick up the phone and speak the opening words of the play. On the first night, the phone duly rang. But the lead actor's mind went paralyzingly blank. Then in a moment of inspiration, he picked up the receiver, listened for a moment, and handed it to the next actor with the immortal words, it's for you. <laughs> there are lots of people in this morning's passage. But the emphasis is on one person. Never mind the fish, the great catch in this passage is one man, Peter. And here is Jesus saying, Simon Peter, it's for you. Uh, the story is told of the great American evangelist Billy Graham being interviewed by 
Kenneth Allsop of the BBC in his forthcoming um, Haringey Crusade back in 1954. Uh, one of the issues under discussion was the cost of the mission. Kenneth Allsop said, Dr. Graham, a great deal of money has been spent on preparing for this campaign. As far as you're concerned, how many converts would make it all worthwhile? And quick as a flash, Billy Graham replied, just one, and then added, just you, Kenneth. Now, it's true that Christianity is not an individualistic faith, and Tom reminded us of that helpfully last night. Christianity is much bigger than you and me. It, indeed, it embraces the whole cosmos. And yet, again and again in the Gospels, there are these one-on-one -on -one encounters with Jesus. And what we have here with Peter this morning is what can happen to you and me. Maybe you're here this weekend loving the family and the fun and the food and the fellowship, but not yet committed to the Lord Jesus. Watch out. He could be on your case. He could draw alongside you this weekend and say, my friend, it's for you. Or maybe he'll come calling along, sitting alongside some of us who already belong to him and say, I want you to be more involved in the spread of my kingdom, the gospel mission. It's for you. Well, let's come to this text and explore three big issues that emerge from the passage. And first of all, the Lord Jesus calls us to listen to his word. Listen to his word. You can't miss the emphasis on Jesus preaching. You see it in the way the passage begins one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's Galilee to you and me. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. If we started reading from the beginning of Luke's Gospel, we would have seen this already. How does Jesus exercise his authority? Through the words that he speaks. It's through his word that he drives out demons. It's through his word that he heals Simon's mother-in-law. And now it's through his word that he's going to win the heart of her son-in-law. In Peter's case, it happens gradually. We, we know that he's met Jesus before. And yet here today, Peter's on the sidelines, washing his nets with Andrew and James and John. They've just come back from a night's fishing. He's not even part of the crowd at this stage. Look at verse 2. Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. As far as Peter con is concerned, this is entirely coincidental. But what kind of coincidence is this, I wonder? On another occasion, the Lord Jesus waits by a well because he knows he's going to meet one woman there. Could it be that he chooses to preach at precisely this point along the shoreline because he knows this is where he'll find Peter? Well, if that's in Jesus' mind, it certainly isn't in Peter's. As far as Peter's concerned, Jesus' preaching is a kind of background music. He's tuning in and out mindlessly as he tidies up after a long night in the boat. Maybe that's you 
at this very moment. You're here and you're kind of listening, but it's all a little bit like that low-level Muzak you have to put up within the supermarket. Well, if that's the case, everything's about to change for Peter. Come back with me to verse 3. Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Now the Lord Jesus is inviting Peter to identify a little bit more openly, a little bit more obviously with him. Why do you think Jesus chooses this boat rather than that boat? Precisely because this is Simon Peter's boat. There's nothing random about any of this. And willingly but unknowingly, the big fisherman oars out from the shore and drops anchor. Proximity to Jesus means that Peter's now having to pay a little bit more attention. I don't know about you, but I find it very difficult to carry on knitting when I'm sitting in the front row at church. Now imagine Peter's life looking a little bit like a pizza. It's cut up into various slices. He's a God-fearing Jew, so there's a slice for God, as you'd expect. There's a rather large slice for business. There's a slice for family. There's a slice for friends, and so on. What's happening at this point seems to be this. Peter is offering the Lord Jesus a slightly bigger slice of the pizza. But that's not what the Lord Jesus is after. He's not interested in a bigger slice of Peter's life, or yours or mine. He's interested in all of our lives. He wants to be the topping on every slice. And what happens when we truly come to love him and surrender our hearts to him? We become better, more faithful spouses. The family slice changes out of all recognition. We become better, more committed parents. We become more reliable members of staff and so on. We become more attentive to God's word and listen to sermons preached at church in a new kind of way. We begin to read our Bibles at home in a new way. Every slice of the pizza changes when Jesus takes charge. And that's what we see as the story unfolds. Look what happens when the sermon is over. Verses 4 and 5. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Lord, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Jesus has finished with the crowd, but he's only now beginning to start with Simon Peter. And do you see what's different here? It's no longer a case of Peter engaging with Jesus on his terms, doing him a favor by lending him his boat. No, it's a case now of Jesus invading Peter's territory. He's calling for obedience not in the realm of faith, but in the realm of fishing. Now, this is Peter's specialist subject. There's nothing you can tell him about fishing. Going back to the pizza analogy, this is not the God slice. This is the very slice where Peter thinks he knows best. My imagination often gets the better of me. I sense a note of irritation in Peter's voice. It may simply be tiredness, of course, or is there something else, something deeper? Here is the carpenter's son telling the fisherman how to fish. Well, we're told what Peter says. We can only imagine what he thinks. 
come off it, Jesus. It's been a bad night, and everybody knows you don't fish when the sun comes up. Jesus, don't you know I'm the president of the Guild of Galilee and freshwater fishermen? I know about fishing. You stick to the preaching. You're good at that. Leave the fishing to me. Well, if that's what he thinks, his respect for Jesus conceals it. Listen to what he says. Because you say so, or literally, at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, do you see the implications of this? Jesus wants the, to call the shots, not just one day a week in church, not just over one dedicated slice of the pizza. He wants to challenge us, even in those areas where we think we know best. You're a full-time mum. You've raised three kids. Has Jesus got anything to teach you about parenting? Yes, he has. You're a GP with 15 years' experience under your belt. Has Jesus anything to teach you about the people you care for? Yes, he has. You're a software engineer who's mastered the intricacies of artificial intelligence. And, oh, I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> but this is what Peter's about to discover. So here's the lesson. When Jesus comes calling, he summons us to obey his word. And he says, it's for you. But then the second thing we see as we go on through the story is that he calls us to submit to his authority. Now, Peter might have been right to ignore the instructions of anybody else, but not Jesus. Look at verse 6. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. No sooner have they cast their nets into the water than the water comes alive and the surface begins to churn and then the nets begin to fill and they start to break. Water starts to pour in over the gunnels of the boat. Every crew member is straining on the ropes to get the nets ashore. If the boats sink, the business sinks with them. If they can get this catch ashore, oh boy, the business accountant will be very pleased. What limits the size of this catch is not the number of fish, it's the number of boats. And somewhere in the midst of all the rushing and the shouting, there's another encounter as that stops Peter in his tracks. And this time he has no choice but to fall before Jesus' authority. Look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. Astonished, and so they might be. At the very least, this miracle is a miracle of supernatural knowledge. Unlike them, Jesus knows where the fish are. But surely, surely, it's more than that. If there'd be no fish to catch all night, doesn't that suggest that Jesus supernaturally draws this school of fish to this very spot for this very moment? Jesus, Lord of the universe, the one who's in control of it all, 
from the molecules within us to the Milky Way above us. And Peter is beginning to discover that Jesus is far bigger than he could possibly have imagined. The story is told of Joe Louis, one of the greatest boxers of all time, known as the Brown Bomber, sitting on a bus going home one night when some rather rowdy teenagers started teasing him, seeing how far they could push him. He sat quietly through it all. And when the time came to get off the bus, he simply pulled out a business card and handed it to the boys. It said, Joe Louie, professional boxer. They'd been picking a fight with the wrong man. A man who would turn out to be heavyweight champion of the world 11 times. And for Peter, it's not just a case of realizing that Jesus is bigger and stronger than he'd imagined. He, has, he was kind of confronting someone who has the right to rule over all of his life. And suddenly Peter realizes he's not just hearing about the kingdom of God. He's in the very presence of God's king. And that's why he says in verse 8, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Peter begins to feel the weight of it, the flood of deep unworthiness, a profound sense of nakedness, a crushing sense of sinfulness. And that's how people always react in the presence of God. Lord, I daren't come anywhere near you. Please go away. That was Adam and Eve's experience in the garden. It was the children of Israel's experience as they encountered God in all his power and majesty at Mount Sinai. And it's been our reaction ever since. Go away from me, Lord. Notice what Peter doesn't say. He doesn't say, sorry, Jesus, I've done some terrible things in my time. No, he says, I am a sinful man. We often define ourselves in terms of what we do and what we don't do. But the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. It's not what we do, it's who we are that is the problem. And what Peter is discovering in these moments is shocking him to the core. He's realizing what, that what he's just experienced here in the boat is not simply reluctance, it's rebellion. Now, of course, he's not a murderer or a child abuser. He's a religious man, a Sabbath-keeping, law-abiding Jew. And yet his heart is cold towards God. He's been living in these two worlds. The world of faith where he's given God a passing nod and a piece of the pizza. And a world of fishing, the real world. The world where Peter has been king. And by invading Peter's real world, Jesus is showing him that this simply will not do. Don't miss Peter's subtle change of language, will you? Jesus is no longer master. He's now Lord. The older I get, the more astonished I am at the depth of my rebellion against God. In his extraordinary goodness, he has saved me from many of the more lurid and outrageous sins. 
But this privilege blinds me to the deep reluctance in my heart to let Jesus tell me what to do. Listen to these words from Abraham Kuyper at the official opening of the Free University of Amsterdam in 1880. No single piece of our mental world is to be hermetically sealed off from the rest. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not say, Mine. Do you see? He claims it all. So when Jesus comes calling, first we learn to obey his word. And second, we learn to submit to his authority. And thirdly, he calls us to commit to his cause. Commit to his cause. Jesus knows Peter through and through. He's no intentions of driving him away. That's why he set this whole thing up in the first place. So look how the story unfolds, will you? Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Peter's career as a fisherman is over. He leaves behind a business with a steady income, a business with assets, a business with a future. What he gives up are the boats, the nets, the fish. What he gains is Jesus. And that proves to be the best business decision of his life. If we stopped reading halfway through verse 10, we might be left wondering quite why Jesus performed this miracle. Jesus has performed a number of miracles in the early days of his ministry, including restoring Peter's own mother-in-law. And these miracles have performed a number of functions. They've alleviated human suffering and distress. They've revealed the tender heart of Father God. They've shone a light on the kind of kingdom that Jesus has come to establish. But this miracle does none of those things. So what is it all about, I wonder? Is it some kind of conjuring trick? No, it's an, it's an acted parable. It's intended to teach Peter and us a lesson. Jesus uses this miracle to unveil for Peter his future's life work. And here's the lesson. When it comes to the growth of God's kingdom, the Lord Jesus does it by overturning the impossible. Think about the miracle. Jesus calls on Peter to fish at the wrong time. Peter himself recognizes he's the wrong kind of man. But Jesus takes all of that and turns it over and says, from now on, Simon Peter, you will fish for people. I want you to leave the best catch of your life and come and follow me. The NIV says, from now on you will fish for people. More literally, Jesus says, from now on you will be catching people. Now, my experience of fishing is very limited and deeply depressing. <laughs> it has taught me one thing. There is a lot of difference between going fishing and catching fish. 
Jesus is not talking about going fishing. He's talking about catching fish. He doesn't say you might. He doesn't say you could. He doesn't say, he does say you will. And maybe even now our, our minds are racing ahead to that marvellous, magnificent day on the day of Pentecost when Peter's on fire and 3,000 souls are added to God's kingdom. I'm almost tempted to say, please could you stay on in the afternoon for a bonus session because I would love to teach you about Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost because that really is the very kind of apex of it all. But I guess you won't. Here's the encouraging point for us right now. Jesus isn't calling a spiritual giant. He's calling a weak man who's very, very aware of his own shortcomings. Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And we know that as the story unfolds, Jesus is going to die for this sinful man. He's going to bear those sins in his own body upon the tree. He's going to rise again and ascend to heaven to pour out his spirit on this man. And if Jesus can do that for Peter, he can do it for you, and he can do it for me. Jesus is committed to growing his kingdom by catching people, one person at a time. And he starts with people like us. Don't let this lesson pass you by, will you? It's only when we begin to grasp who Jesus is, and who we are, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man, that Jesus says, don't be afraid. This moment is hugely significant in Peter's spiritual formation. There are going to be plenty of times when Peter will be brash and full of bravado. But it's when he's on his knees, realizing that he has no right to come anywhere near, that Jesus reaches out to him with these wonderful words, don't be afraid. And maybe those are words of life that you need to hear today. Don't let our feelings of inadequacy or weakness hold us back from committing to Jesus. He's not interested in our ability, just our availability. While we're here, let's just step back for a moment and think a little bit more about the Lord Jesus evangelistic strategy if we're going to commit to his cause. I, I don't know about you, but it's easy to lose heart when you're fishing. We, we start off full of enthusiasm, but we, we don't catch anything and, and we lose heart and we give up. I think you can hear that in Peter's voice in verse 5, can't you? Master, we've worked hard all night, we haven't caught anything. So how do you keep on fishing when the fish don't seem to bite? Because Jesus tells us to. Because you say so. We fish by faith. Someone has said, I'm not quite sure whether this is right or not, but I like the sound of it. It's when we're willing to do the ridiculous that God seems ready to do the miraculous. I don't know if that's true, but it sounds good, doesn't it? When we're willing to do the ridiculous, God's ready to do the miraculous. Just remember the image that Luke is painting here of Jesus gathering a people into his kingdom. He's the supreme fisherman. 
he catches a great number of fish that will become a vast multitude that no one can count. And it seems to me that Jesus' command to let down the nets trumps all my excuses. This is absolutely not what Peter's expecting. Years of experience have taught him that this is absolutely pointless. But obedience to Jesus trumps our excuses. And then Jesus' command to let down the nets overcomes all my pessimism. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. The only limiting factor in this miracle is the, is the capacity of the nets. Now, this isn't a, passi- a, a promise, I think, that every time I preach, vast numbers of people will be converted. But it is a promise that Jesus' plans are boat-sinkingly, net-breakingly big. And I need to remember that. Jesus' command to let down the nets overcomes my pessimism. And then Jesus' command to let down the net smashes my pride. You can just imagine the pictures that uh, Peter could have posted on Facebook. But this is not about Peter. This is about what happens when Jesus is in your boat. He's the Lord from heaven. He's the one who gathers this vast catch. And then Jesus' command to let down the nets resets my life. Fishing for people is not going to become part of Peter's life. It is going to become his life. Jesus calls Peter to abandon his dreams and follow him. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything. What a remarkable thing. And followed him. This doesn't mean we all have to give up the day job though it might mean that for some of us. just means he recruits us to the cause of winning and gathering people for him right where we are. So, dear brothers and sisters, don't let Satan discourage you. Let's commit ourselves humbly, prayerfully to the task of reaching out to people one at a time. Perhaps God will lay someone very specific on your heart this very weekend. Someone that you can love and seek and talk to and say at some point, it's for you. But let me finish here. Maybe the time has come for some of us to step out of the crowd and come face to face with the Lord Jesus ourselves. Remember, this event doesn't come out of the blue for Peter. He's met Jesus before. He's heard him preach. He's seen him in action. He's benefited from his kindness. But this is the decisive moment for him. And maybe this weekend is the decisive moment for you. Here's something that's different for us. We know so, so much more than Peter knows at this point. We're we're reading this after the cross and the resurrection and Pentecost and, and years of accumulated Christian experience. But here is something that is exactly the same. The Lord Jesus knows us. He knows you. He knows me. Just as he knew Peter. He knows where we are. He knows how we are. And he knows how to catch us.
and he loves us. And he's died for people just like us. And he wants to use us. So maybe keep a listening ear open for three wonderful words. It's for you. Shall we pray? Let's do that. Dear Lord Jesus, we're not thinking this morning about a story, about someone from another world in another time. We're thinking about you with us now, right here, right now, the same Lord Jesus. Thank you that your heart is just the same. Thank you that your power is undiminished. Thank you that your purposes and promises stand. Thank you that you're still drawing near to people and saying, it's for you. Please would you say that to us this very weekend. And may we hear your voice, leave everything behind, and follow you. Amen. Thanks for listening.